Hi, I'm Larry Gifford. I have Parkinson's disease. This is when life gives you Parkinson's. Joining me on this episode of the podcast is my partner in Parkinson's, my wife in life for the last 20 years, Rebecca Gifford. Hello. Hi, honey. How are you? I am pretty good right now. Thank you for asking. How about yourself? <laughs> we haven't seen each other much yet today, so no, I just wanted to check in. Walked out of the office, and here we are taping. <laughs> here we went go. from job to podcast. To... Well, I'm looking forward to this episode because this week we are going to discuss living through a pandemic with Parkinson's in the house, and we'll update some of the episodes that we've been receiving questions about. But first off, we hope you are well. Yeah, I mean, this is a weird time. This this pandemic, this COVID-19, like it's, it's kind of put everybody on their, uh, you know, I think everybody's walking sideways. The weirdest time I've ever lived through, <laughs> for sure. Right? And modern times are full of lots of weird things, but this is the full-on tower falling. This <laughs> is, like, if, if, you, if this doesn't go, I wonder what message the world is trying, right. the universe is trying to send. Perhaps we're supposed to be learning some lessons here. <laughs> and the universe and the planet are forcing us to learn them. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're living through a pandemic. Oh, for sure. Well, and I like to, look, the image that keeps coming to me is that it's shining a spotlight on everything that needs to be considered and looked at and shifted and in a bigger way in a major way for society and especially the first world parts of the world and how we're looking at things how we're utilizing the planet and our communities and each other and technology and everything else but also in smaller ways where it's shining in our family and us as individuals, it's just kind of immediate. It's like Sauron's eyes, like immediately goes to that. Whatever that issue comes up for you when you're under stress or confined and feel like your freedoms are being encroached upon and all the, th the issues and all of the anxieties and fears and irritabilities that come up when you're under that kind of pressure. Well, I mean, you're right. I mean, and there's so many lessons. Like, I'm learning how important human touch is. I didn't realize I touched people as much as I did, but uh, I, I feel like I've, I mean, other than you and Henry, I have not touched a soul in like three months. And I, I've, I'm like, I miss people. Right. <laughs> well, and, and it's more just f than physical touching. Right. It's about community and being with each other, being near each other. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going around grabbing people oh, in I my understand. everyday life. I just, like, I just like a hug here or a handshake here or, you know, a high five or just like have it, sitting elbow to elbow and having a beer. Or... Well, and we're all learning how, how to communicate in a less physical, less direct way. So being in someone's presence is always nice. You love being close to your loved ones and your family and friends. But being, uh, you don't have to be close to them in order to feel connected to them. We can see their face or not see their face. We can be on FaceTime or we can just be over the phone or we can just connect with a text here and there and still feel really connected to our loved ones. I think that's a big societal lesson that's being learned right now. Technology has been huge. I mean, uh, who, who knew what Zoom was before this? Uh, I mean, uh, this is now Microsoft Teams. I mean, people are using all sorts of uh, ways to connect, and uh, which has allowed me to connect with people that I usually only, you know, exchange tweets with. Now I'm seeing them on my screen and you know, we're having chats and group chats and that's kind of fun. 
Well, and the folks who are closest to me, my kind of my inner circle, even if I just check in with them every once in a while, I feel continuously connected to them because we've reached out to each other and said, I'm here if you need me. Sanity check. Do you just need to chat? Do you need just five minutes here and there? And it used to be, let's set aside a time and make sure that we're both available so that we can talk for an hour or two and do a big catch up and everything else. And now it's this more continuous. I'm here. I'm available when you're in crisis, when you're having just a really bad day or want to rant or you just want to connect with somebody with a loving word and say, hello, those people are available to me. Yeah. And then there's the populations of people that are living by themselves or that are in, uh, you know, uh, nursing homes or whatever where you're not allowed to visit and they're wondering and if they have any sort of dementia or anything they're wondering like why aren't people coming to visit me anymore and and that's really tough I heard something really great the other day they go uh, you can go uh, to outside their window and plant a tree or plant a, mm. a bush or something and, and you know sort of you know recognize them that way so that when they look out they see the tree you planted or whatever right. or put out flowers or whatever and I think that's really cool idea. it is yeah people are getting very creative in ways to stay connected. But again, I think it's really learning that lesson where you don't have to be in continuous contact with someone to feel connected and supported. The other thing that uh, on a more global perspective, as it relates to Parkinson's and and, and really, you know, research and, and, and you know, the, the search for cures in general, like you see the way that the red tape around the world, the, the governments are slashing in order to find a vaccine and the, the collaboration that's going on around the world of all these uh, great scientists and these neurologists and these, just these great uh, virus experts. And I'm sure there's a fancy name for a virus virus expert. But Epidemiologist. I, there you go. Um, and uh, all these great minds coming together and tr collaborating, trying to find a cure as fast as they can. And it's like, cool, now that we know you can do that, let's, yeah. uh, let's uh, once we get this solved, let's tr turn that attention to Parkinson's and then turn that attention to ALS and then Alzheimer's and like, let's just tackle them one at a time and Absolutely. Be done with it. Yeah. Well, and there's a local organization where someone connected to it told me recently that they had been working for years to try to get uh, telehealth and other things involved in their community and being able to offer uh, folks who don't live near their particular center to get the services that they needed on a regular basis with less travel, making it easier, people who are older and can't travel very easily, et cetera, been working for years and had run into tons and tons of red tape. And then the coronavirus hit and bam, Sorry. within two weeks, <laughs> suddenly it was there and they were like, oh, you could do that. So it's just a matter of what's the sense of urgency. But now all of these lessons have been learned and everybody's getting used to this technology and there's no going backwards now. So hopefully we'll gain the benefits of that over time. The telehealth is really cool. I mean, uh, we've both experienced that. You know, we met with my doctor, Dr. Squires, uh, via telehealth and it was a great meeting and it was, it, I, I felt as if I actually got more of his time and attention because there weren't other patients around. There weren't nurses coming into the room. There were like, there was nobody else around to distract him other than his dog. He was in his quiet space in his home and we were in our quiet space in our home. And yeah. So that was, that was kind of cool. And, and as I talked to others, um, both the neurologists and the, uh, the people with Parkinson's who were going through the telehealth experience for, for the, for the neurologists, um, they, they really like the peak inside the home. Mm 
And so mm-hmm. a lot of them are going, oh, you know what? That's a horrible chair. You should not be on chairs with wheels because you try to stand up. It's, you, you need to have chairs with legs, not wheels. And you know, just like <laughs> those little things that we don't think about. Right. Uh, and we'd never report because you don't see anything wrong with it. And haven't connected that sore leg or whatever, that hip that's out of alignment to that crazy chair that you've been sitting on. Right. Or, hey, look, they have four small puppies in the house or like, right. whatever. <laughs> like, like you right. can see that when you have a telehealth appointment or little kids running around or lots of toys everywhere or like whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Those are things that they would never know without being able to glimpse inside your house, which is really cool benefits and then they, they can then they can recommend an occupational therapist to come in and look at your house to put it in order or a physical therapist if you're having certain issues and and i think those are those things are being this one of those things where the the light of sarah is now shining on these little issues right the need for a more holistic comprehensive approach to looking at especially a disease you're going to be living with for a long time yeah and then they get a, a glimpse into your everyday life where when they when you go to the office everything's sterilized and it's not a normal day and you've been traveling you've been tra- and you're you've anxious been in traffic and, and, yeah. right parking wasn't great and yeah <laughs> right never is never is great right um how, how are you handling the stress of the pandemic well i'll tell you what it's offered lots of lessons again, the spotlight onto what kind of comes up. For me, my habitual thing is that I get kind of into control issues when things feel massively uncertain and I feel like I don't have any control over my surroundings or the larger, especially in the larger world, I kind of get into that um, uh, panicked, but I need to control something. And that manifests in sometimes healthier ways, like cleaning, and sometimes <laughs> sometimes things like feeling like I need to control my son a little bit more, control what he's doing during the day rather than giving him kind of the some of the freedoms that we have allowed him about how he spends his time. And that ends up creating conflict in the house. Um, so I think that in lots of ways I've been kind of going to habitual things, but noticing it a little faster. So because, you know, I've worked on myself and and Parkinson's has actually um, revealed a lot of those things. How do I handle uncertainty and, and all of that? Um, a lot of those things have been revealed through our Parkinson's experience so far. And therefore, I was aware of them and could kind of catch it and use tools, use meditation, uh, use outdoor time, all the things, write, writing and journaling, all of those things that I use as my regular tool um, for getting through stressful times. And when I feel these emotions that are feeling a little overwhelming, that's those are the tools that I'm that I'm going towards. In addition, I do want to say, because the stress level is partially ratcheted up because of we have a 10 year old son who has some a little bit a tinge of anxiety issues. So the stress and being inside because outside is a big balancing thing for him. He's been particularly ratcheted up emotionally, emotional roller coaster, I would say pretty much every day. So finding those joyful moments with him, because it's an emotional roller coaster, that means that the ups are really good. And so and he's kind of this naturally when he feels like it, joyful, laughter filled, silliness filled kid 
really taking advantage of that and not resisting that so much. I learned that after a few weeks of this. <laughs> but <laughs> so rather than like, you're not doing what I want you to do, kind of say, embracing those moments. Oh, you want to do a tickle fest. You want to do a pillow fight. OK, it's not this you know, more educational activity over here that I would really like for you to do. But we're going to do that now because that's what you need. And I'm going to get a lot out of it, too. And it's just fun. Well, and uh, he, for the first couple of weeks, was craving a lot of sugar. And we couldn't, I, I, I wasn't putting two and two together. And I realized he was just going to his vice. Yes. Just like his parents were going to the liquor store. Right. <laughs> Right. <laughs> we weren't setting a very good example where that's <laughs> But thank God liquor stores and wine stores are uh, essential services. In some in some countries, they're completely shut down. I have a we have a friend who lives in Cape Town, South Africa, and they have had no liquor or cigarettes for weeks now. That's amazing. And she's hoarding. <laughs> yeah, I think you brought up a really interesting point, uh, though, as it relates to people with Parkinson's already being somewhat prepared for the uncertainty of this pandemic. Because yeah. a lot of people haven't experienced uncertainty, and we're living it every day, you know, uh, minute to minute. We don't know what's going to happen with our symptoms, and, and neither you don't know how I'm going to be when I wake up from a nap or when I come home from work or I wake up in the morning, and sometimes I go, hey, honey, can you help me out of bed? And sometimes I'm like, hey, surprise, surprise a kite. Yeah. Surprise a what? Surprise <laughs> a kite? I don't even know if that's a term, wow. is it? Yeah. <laughs> I just made that up. <laughs> up. Surprise a kite. You're uh, uh, bouncing out of bed like a spring. Okay. Not quite, but close. Yeah. Maybe an old spring. <laughs> like this morning, you got up really easily. But yeah, well, I, had to, I had to really go to the bathroom, though. So oh, well, there's that. <laughs> but they were, what, four or five days ago, you were kind of like, rolled yourself out of bed and your legs <laughs> sore to work. And I, was, I woke up and went, honey, do you need some help getting down the stairs? One stair at a time. Sliding my right foot right. across the step as I go down. Especially when everything started and you would see your neighbor in the backyard or whatever and you would talk about how is everybody doing and whatnot. Almost everybody said, you know, it's so frustrating because we just don't know what's going to happen. It's just we're riddled with uncertainty and everybody's very stressed out about that. And so that's our main concern. We don't know what's going to happen with the schools. Am I going to go back to work? What's happening? The, that uncertainty. And that was actually one of the that never really came up for us as what are we dealing with and how are we dealing with this? The uncertainty is certainly more than if we were sure. in a normal life or a previous life with just Parkinson's and the other things that we deal with. But, but that level of uncertainty was, it would, it went up a couple levels for us where for most people it went up 17 levels. Right. So we're, we, it's almost like the, and I've heard other people in the Parkinson's community talk about that as well. That uncertainty is not such a big deal for them because they're already kind of living it. It's like we have a that muscle is already conditioned. Yeah, we've embraced it and it's part of the experience. Ride it like a wave. <laughs> uh, general wellness is uh, always an issue. You know, we always want to make sure people with Parkinson's get exercise. You know, do, going to, you know, going to your physiotherapist for exercise classes or just going to your physio for one-on-one -on -one treatments and a lot of that stuff has been cut off but then there's been some really creative you know solutions to to that uh i'm still not exercising nearly as much as i should but i did get out and play a little soccer with henry yesterday which was good 
uh, and uh, I, I've walked around the block a lot more than I have in the past. But, you know, it's certainly I've done some exercise. Well, I didn't do exercise classes. I did the exercise warm ups for, for, for Tim Hague's class. And I did the exercise warm up for Jimmy's class. And I did a cool down. Yeah, Was, the warm ups are hard. <laughs> Maybe, maybe maybe I'm just not accustomed to them. But yeah, they're right. different. They're, they're, they're ridiculous. Really. Yeah, but there are a lot of adaptations, so you could ratchet yeah. it down a little bit. But there's a lot of great online free exercise stuff going on with free yoga, and so that's that's been a kind of a cool thing to happen uh, yeah. through all this as as people look for you know, alternatives to whatever they used to do. Well, and I think that a big part of general wellness for most people is outdoor time. Especially in the beginning when people were fearful to go out because social distancing was new and you were afraid to run into people, period, and you weren't sure how to go to the park and feel more comfortable and what the spacing was like and whether everybody was going to was on the same page where it was concerned and how do you negotiate that socially and physically in those early days. It was very frustrating for our family because a big part of balance emotional balance, energetic balance, physical balance is to get a lot of outdoor time, including for you, mm -hmm. even though it's not always, you know, the energy, you know, the high exercise that you're supposed to do for Parkinson's, you were getting a lot of outdoor time just yeah. by being in our family, because that's especially Henry and I, that's what we do. So your general wellness is affected by that, period. I understand why we need to do the social distancing. I understand why people are staying home and staying in their neighborhood and, and trying to contain it. My fear is that that's going to affect general wellness, especially for people who have a chronic disease or a degenerative disease. How is that going to affect long-term wellness for the folks who really couldn't get outside or it was really impossible or uncomfortable to get outside for any length of time and just get the sunshine and get the fresh air, sit by the water and, and do that in a safe and socially distanced way. And, and, and really, humans are not designed to be inside of a house with their family for that long. Really not. I mean, I love, I love you. you but but <laughs> <laughs> Jinx by me, Coke. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's all about balance, right? And it's, this is very, very intense, one kind of experience. And it's not really natural or healthy to do on a long-term basis. Now here in BC, we're starting to open up a bit and there are plans for certain kinds of businesses and physios and massage therapists and all of those to start to acupuncturists to be to be available to us in the near future in a very safe way because BC has done awesome mm -hmm. as far as socially distancing and keep it flattening the curve and, and all of that. It's very, very manageable for us right now, knock on wood. So we're starting to see those services come back. I know in a lot of other places, especially in the States, it's either coming back and very quickly, which may or may not be in a healthy way. And so some people don't feel like they can take advantage of them or they're just not going to come back for a while because they're in a state that got really hit hard. Well, and a good a good thing about that, too, is the the one on one uh, psychological counseling is going to come back, too, because, of, you know, the anxiety and depression that already you know accompanies a lot of people's Parkinson's as a symptom is only enhanced through quarantine and social isolation and just the idea of a pandemic. It just sounds like just a Hollywood movie and like it, 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 the, the word itself is, is, it brings fear with it. Um, and so I know a 
lot of people have been going through that. I've, I've been more anxious, you know, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, you guys have been more anxious about me going to work, you know, once every three weeks, you know, going to the office where I'm working from home the other weeks. And we, we would have never questioned that before, but now mm-hmm. it's like, we don't know what is safe and where to go. And like, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's really, it's weird. Well, I'll tell you why. This time period has shown me and other folks who I've been talking with, some folks in my circle, in a big way, what tools really work for you when it comes to anxiety and fear and depression and panic and and those kinds of things. And a lot of people are discovering that they were perhaps relying too much on their environment to help to calm fears and anxieties and ratchet down panic levels and anxiety levels. For me, it was, I need time by myself. I need for it to have an empty house or I need to go somewhere by myself. And that's when I can find peace. And that's when I can find calm when I'm feeling emotionally out of control or anxious. But I think we're all, a lot of people are discovering that there's a lot you There are a lot of tools that you can find within. There's a lot of good energy and calm and peace that you can find within yourself and even amongst the chaos and even amongst the noise and a child who needs, needs, needs and and everything else or children. Most, you know, most parents have children and they're home all the time and there's a lot of uh, their own anxieties and attention required while you're distracted with this and, and you just kind of it's this, you know, spinning plates act. They're learning to find that peace within themselves and using tools that they discover or that they've learned in different places, but also just that it's there. There's something really comforting and growth filled by acknowledging that and learning and really finding confidence in the fact that you have the peace within you and that you have the ability to find that calm, even if the environment is not nurturing that for you, or in, in this case, can't nurture it for you. We've, we've, we've got a couple of crystal bowls here. Just taking a couple of deep breaths and listening to the ding of a, of a crystal bowl can just bring you back. Or, or, yeah. or if you need to be grounded and, and present, then uh, one of the exercises that somebody taught me was just name five things that are right there in front of you. Hey, look, there's Rebecca, there's a pillow, there's a nightstand, there's the sink to the bathroom, and there's your necklace. Like, suddenly I'm I'm here in this room. Right. Back and, in the present say moment. Say it out loud. Right. Uh, and you, now you're back in the present moment. Because we can get lost in that anxiety and fear and the future pictures. and Yes. Uh, and that's, you know, that can be uh, terrorizing. Right. Well, and so many of us are very sensitive people as well. And everybody in our family is really sensitive and kind of empathic. And so when there's a lot of fear and things are ratcheted up around us in our community, in our house, in our neighbors, in the larger world, we're really sensitive to that. And sometimes it can feel overwhelming and anxious and like that's coming from within and that you acknowledge is coming from without you know the the peace and the and the love and the calm and the things that you need are found within that's what's true within and then the other things are kind of that's what's the external that can affect those things and understandably do but you can always find that within you don't have to rely upon getting the right information or uh, connecting with the right person or getting alone time or going to that favorite spot that you can't go to anymore because they've closed it down. 
you can find it. There, there is a, a wealth of fantastic energy and information just within your yeah. own body and heart and spirit. When I take the time to really sit in quiet and breathe and listen to my breath and, and just be still, it's very calming. And even for a minute, it yeah. can just be a minute. Well, I love the new Calm app. I use that a lot. They, do, they yeah. actually have the guided meditations, but they also have like, like this just relaxing piano music or they tell you a story, like such a great app. And there's a couple of them out there that are really good. Mm-hmm. I think one of them is called 10% and somebody's another one too. Headspace. Headspace. Yeah. But they're really good apps. And a lot of people are doing, a lot of really great people are doing videos every day and Facebook lives every day and just keeping connected with the community and offering some sort of peace or wisdom or laughter. Yeah. on a regular basis and I, there are a couple of people I follow on a regular basis community is super important as we've discovered through all this how are you handling stress well I uh, I'm still exhausted every day around two o'clock and I take a nap um, I uh, am drinking but I always did that so uh, <laughs> I uh, I actually find I'm eating healthier than when I went to the office because we're we're cooking a lot more and I'm not eating in the mall, you know, from the the fast food restaurants and whatnot. Yeah, I, I think I'm. I think it's day to day, really. There's some days where I feel really good, and and part of my job, um, you know, in radio is still as the national director of talk radio is I've got a. I've got to make other, all these other people feel comfortable about what's going on too, and mm-hmm. and make them feel safe and empowered in their positions, and and so I, I a lot of what I do is have to think outside myself and try to support others. So when I get that time to really think about oh, how am I doing, mm-hmm. uh, and, and and my bosses are asking me that too, I find that I'm doing better when I'm at home than I am when I'm at the office. Mm-hmm. It's been a huge discovery for me that my symptoms are reduced for the most part when I'm working from home versus when I go to the office. Even if nobody's in the office, my symptoms ratchet up. For it's just the anxiety of the building and being downtown, and the, you know, there are not even a lot of people, but strangers and just like, additional stress and trying to maneuver your way through and I don't like to drive but now I don't want to take public transportation either because like, you know I don't want the COVID right <laughs> you know so it's it's kind of kind of uh, I, 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 I guess I'm doing as well as as I think I should be doing well and I find there's a huge power in just kind of acknowledging it and saying, this is how I'm feeling right now. I, I am stressed out. This is different. This is different than I expected it to be as far as how you're balancing your, your day and what's required on every day to, to find balance. Acknowledging your emotions and naming them and just being okay with whatever is happening in the office and your vulnerability and honesty that you've already established with your colleagues and the people who you see on a daily basis when you do go into the office or when you're in continuous phone calls here at home because you've established that honesty and and vulnerability. So when you name something and say, you know, here's how I'm doing today when you're checking in with the group, other people feel more comfortable kind of naming it and acknowledging it. And when you acknowledge it, it has less power over you. Right. And then you can deal with it. And then as a group, you can deal with it and support each other and and figure out how to move, how to move forward and have the uncomfortable conversations about how everybody's doing. Yeah, that's true. 
Well, and in our in our family, I think it has shown a spotlight on some things that where we needed to have some tough conversations. But because, largely because of Parkinson's, so in this way, I'm really grateful for a Parkinson's experience. We're more comfortable having those awkward conversations and those tough conversations and not putting it off for three or four days and letting it fester. And then just saying, okay, this is what's going on today. And I'm just putting it out there and tell me if I'm crazy or tell me, you know, let's just kind of talk this through um, in an, in a straightforward, direct kind way. Yeah. And that's, we've required more of those conversations <laughs> with all this concentrated time, but that has become easier to do on a regular basis. We've established the fact that we've established the fact that that's okay to have those awkward, tough conversations and really name what's going on and talk about it and just move forward, figure out a way to move forward together. And I, I haven't asked you directly, but how are you doing? I'm doing okay. It's a day by day thing. I think that's everybody's situation right now. Some days I'm I'm feeling pretty good. Today I'm feeling pretty good uh, and feeling pretty balanced. And I feel like I can get and have what I need to feel in balance today and help to support the balance of my family and immediate circle. Um, some days it feels it just feels overwhelming. It just feels like too much. But I will say. I feel like those things are just kind of becoming less and less a present part of our day. For instance, this concentrated time and the shifting time and everything, because our son is kind of more emotional and ratcheted up and not old enough or mature enough yet to really have the tools to deal with the way that you and I do. He has shifted how he treats us a bit. His behavior is not as calm and kind as it usually is. He um, takes out where our sa his safety place, yeah. um, especially mommy, unfortunately. And so when he gets angry and frustrated and irritated, it just kind of comes out as big explosions on mostly on mommy, sometimes on daddy. And um, us talking about tools and trying to help him through it or whatnot is at this point right now is is relatively useless. So we're just holding the space and allowing him to have his emotions most of the time with appropriate boundaries for behavior. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, you are not allowed to kick me. Um, but those conversations actually led to us having more frank conversations and moving things forward regarding um, his educational Opportunities, Right. And so maybe you could say that the COVID-19 sped up that process. It really did. And it made it more, um, it made it a little bit easier to see that that was the right thing to do. It made it more acute. Yes. <laughs> the <laughs> symptoms were more acute. <laughs> Absolutely. So we're, sh you know, because of that, we're shifting how starting in September, he's going to be in a private school for kids with learning disabilities and, and, um, he has a friend there and it's an awesome school yeah. and it's perfect for him and everyone who's on team henry is on board with that's going to be fantastic what a great environment for him which gives mommy and daddy more space to create the environment that yeah. we need to for us are you bleeding are you bleeding no are you bleeding? No. Are, is there fire? No. Okay, those were the things. Sorry. Okay. Uh, just... Yeah, you can have that. It's frozen. You gotta defrost it. I did. I did unfrozen it. 
Okay. Yeah, you may eat, may eat it. It's for you, sweetie. That's I why I bought it. I, I don't want to eat raw, raw fish. It's smoked. So technically it's cooked. Yep. So try it and see if you like it, but you're supposed to eat it kind of like candy. Candy? Yep. Just bite it. Like, eat it like an appetizer. Okay, now we told him not to interrupt us unless he was bleeding or he something was on fire. But smoked salmon in the freezer was just too much. <laughs> How do you eat it? Isn't that great that he's, he's wanting to eat smoked salmon and not cookies? Well, I'm sure he would eat the cookies if we had that available, too. We just yeah. don't. Right? <laughs> Hence the sugar conversation that we had early in the pandemic. Yes. I believe that one of the lessons we're learning is the idea of helping each other by making sacrifice. So I think, you know, growing up in America, and uh, we, we've kind of gotten used to an egocentric uh, society. And this is really shining a light on how when, when we have to, when we need to, for the betterment of society, we need to make sacrifices. Uh, and then we need to recognize those people that are doing those jobs that keep our, our societies moving forward, yes. that are underpaid and underappreciated. and Don't have the resources they need. Right. And so now, now we are learning and as a society, like, oh, man, I, you don't, these are people like we were just blinded from. Like we, they were just in the periphery. I think there's so much potential for positive lessons here. Awkward positive lessons um, as a society. The like you said, the unity and, and empathy and thinking beyond your own experience and and all of those things that that could potentially come. And I think that some places this is going to happen um, a little more easily. Our beloved United States is right now going through that awkward tantrum phase <laughs> of just resisting that idea and not able not being able to hold the two concepts of empathy and concern for the greater good and and being mindful of what's good for your community and country and the world while also holding your own freedoms and and uh, and civil liberties dear as well. I think they're really struggling with those two concepts and there's you know it's kind of black and white the United States a lot of times and and there's there's a lot of middle ground in there and those are two things that can coexist. My rights versus the betterment of society. Right. And that is a hard lesson for a younger country, almost like a preteen yes. country <laughs> to to learn. And as you know, up, up here in Canada, it's easier for us to to observe because we're not in in the midst of it. It also means perhaps there are aspects of it that we're not understanding um, completely. In Canada, we've figured out how to balance those because it's not as if people don't care about their civil liberties here. If the country went too far, the government went too far, people would not be happy. Well, and, and until this, like, we never asked our neighbors if we they needed anything at the store because we were headed to the store. And now we do. Every week. Yeah. And, she and, asks me and I ask her. And <laughs> Right. It's like, hey, or I'm going to the liquor store. You need anything? Like, that never happened before. And it's just, it feels like community as opposed to I'm living my life and you're living your life and we happen to be sharing some of the same space on this street. And we have lived in streets like that where we yeah. tried to connect with people and they weren't 
they weren't so come on. Now, that said, we also know that some of the most beautiful, nicest, most community-oriented people that we've ever met live in the United States, and we're probably related to them. And so they're very kind, and they are asking their neighbors, and they are community-oriented. We're speaking on a larger yeah, scale. And what we're seeing from Canada, peering over to, to the south and watching the the conflict and the, the vitriol and the, the clinging to... Um, civil liberties so strongly that is even more ratcheted up these days as states or different states are making choices about when to open up and everything else. It's that's that's what we're watching. It looks compared to where we live. It looks chaotic. And there's and again, it's there's so much potential for this to be a unifying major global lesson. Well, and I think it will be ultimately. Uh, and I, th- I think that the, we're going to see so much good come out of this from the medical community, from the from society, from sort of a global look at things. You see the the animals, you know, emerging from the deep edges of the forest and suddenly there's strange spiders on the street and there's, <laughs> you know, dolphins where there shouldn't be dolphins or there haven't been dolphins in a long time. Or like you're seeing all these things happen. You're like, oh, the earth's repairing herself. Exactly. And that's amazing. And oh, we impact the earth where we are uh, in- impacting each other. Oh, and, right. And this is how we need to behave in order for the planet and all of its riches within can coexist with us humans. Yes. We're going to continue to learn lessons through COVID-19 and as this, you know, plays out over the course of the next years. Uh, and that's what it will be. It's going to take, you know, 12 to 18 months to get a vaccine and get it out to the community and get that herd immunity gone. And uh, so we're, we're going to be living through these times for a while. And so there's going to be lessons that pop up and we're going to help each other through it. And, and part of that for me is hosting another podcast for the Michael J. Fox Foundation. Uh, about COVID and Parkinson's. It's going to go on for as long as it needs to go on, but that's going to be every other Wednesday. So uh, that's really exciting. And, and The know. first one was really good. Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's very it's very straightforward. It's good information. There's humor and, and research and, and science and emotional kind of living together in a, in a happy way, and it kind of breezes by. Yeah, you've got a good thing going. I co-host it with uh, Dr. Rachel Dolan, who is the movement disorder specialist on staff at the Michael J. Fox Foundation. And you can find it at michaeljfox.org, or you can go to Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your on-demand audio and uh, find it there. Uh, just uh, search for the Michael J. Fox Foundation. We'll probably also release some of them uh, through the When Life Gives You Parkinson stream, so they may pop up every now and again, just because. Just we also want to update you on a couple of, of past episodes where we've gotten some questions mm-hmm. uh, or, or there's been updates to it. Uh, one of the early episodes this uh, season was Slave to a Pill, uh, which was about uh, Merck and Cinemet and the absence of Cinemet. They stopped production of it because they changed their manufacturing lines. Uh, in February of this year, 2020, Merck Sharp and Dome, which is the MSD brand out of uh, the UK, uh, shared that all Cinemet products that they are continuing are back in stock in England and in, 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 in the UK. In the US and Canada, however, the market status remains dormant. <laughs> That's what it says. The Cinemet Control release, the CR versions have all been discontinued. Uh, the 250 over 25 and the 100 over 25 milligram products remain unavailable and are not expected to be in stock until March of 2021. I think originally it was supposed to be this July. Yep. 
Now it's not for almost another year. Boo. Boo. We did do a, uh, a episode on deep brain stimulation. Uh, and the update there is I am now in line for evaluation for deep brain stimulation. Although with the COVID-19 delay, I found out yesterday here in British Columbia, they are now, they've canceled like 30,000 or delayed 30,000 surgeries. So there's a backlog. So it's going to take a while to get uh, that evaluation, I'm sure. How are you feeling about being in the DBSQ? I'm feeling pretty good about it. I think that, uh, uh, you know, it's, I was, I've been talking to some other folks about it who are considering it, and some folks have had it. The people who've had it love it. The people who are considering it are, are, are tentative because uh, it's like, uh, do I want brain surgery? And then, like, it's some of the side effects that can happen where it can affect your speech, and that's kind of a fear of mine. And I, what I found out in life is the things that I fear end up happening because those are the lessons I need to learn. And so... Um, that scares me a bit to go through that process and then come out on the other side not being able to do this podcast because I can't talk so well anymore. Since I've spent 30 years in radio, that seems like a, a lot of... Sure. Uh, so there's, well, a, there's a, a, you know, a, a mix of emotions. For sure. And it's a long queue. <laughs> With a long time to think about it. Right. Which is... And when you got in the queue, it was three years. Yeah. Until evaluation. And then another six months... For, for, the, for the actual surgery. So now that may, you know, be, be another extended year. another six months or a year. We don't yeah, know. Probably. Yeah. We'll, we'll find out. We'll find out. How do you feel about it? I feel okay. I feel there's time. And there's a lot of progression or not progression that can happen between now and then. It's smart that we got in the queue because yeah. it's such a long wait. And that was um, with the, the advice of Dr. Squires. And I trust him. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, I'm feeling like I don't have a lot of feelings about it right now, except for we have time to consider it. And um, I want it to work for you if that's what you want. Well, and I think more than anything, what it'll do for us is it will extend my viability in the workforce uh, and will make us uh, you know, give that that, you know, go back five years in symptoms, which would be nice to. Because the symptoms are always flaring up and evolving and progressing, and right. I can feel the progression. And in three years or four years, I can only imagine what it may be. And you'll get that time back with with me and Henry, and yeah, and be able to have a higher quality of life and travel more, and and all the things that we want to do while Henry is still young. And play Lego every day at four o'clock, like I've become accustomed to doing during the COVID. I love the Lego. Which is one of your stress. Oh, yeah. Things. I totally zone out. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. But I'm getting pretty good at it. One of the, I, I, you know, and I just need to get more. I think we're going to have to invest in some Lego. Okay. Uh, update on the sleep episode. So I got a couple of letters here. Uh, notes, uh, Rebecca. Uh, Delane writes, Larry, you left us hanging on the sleep podcast. I'm sure you have the same feeling. Sometimes I think I'll lose my mind if I don't get some sleep. My doctors recommended the same antidepressant. Did, did you try it? Were there side effects? Did you gain weight? Did it work? I'm also wondering what other drugs you're on because it scares me to mix so many. My doctor said, get used to it and welcome to Parkinson's. I appreciate your help, Delane. And then Dana writes, Larry, Larry and Rebecca, thank you for letting us in on your lives. We feel like we know you. How are you doing with sleep? Did you get separate beds? So there's a couple things going on there. I never did try the. Well, I, I did one night of the mirtazapine, uh, and uh, it freaked me out because it like 
I kept me on like on a buzz for like two days. Uh, but I, I am taking clonazepam and I'm taking gabapentin uh, for different things. Uh, the clonazepam is for active sleep. So I'm not moving around as much in my sleep, but I am. Like last night, I almost leaped out of bed. I don't know if you know it. Uh, but like, I, yeah, I was jumping to my dreams and then suddenly I was like falling off the bed. Um, so it's it's happening some, but we, we still have one bed for, because A, we're trying that drug and, and B, we just haven't gotten around to it. We had it on in the queue and we had the what we needed and we had the, the money set aside and everything else. And then we needed money for some travel that became important and that popped up and some other things that just kind of got waylaid it became a lower a lower priority now you are more active in your sleep and i notice it more but it's not disruptive so at this point it's not required for us both to have a good night's sleep yeah once it gets there it will become you know obviously move way up the priority list but right now it just it it was a high priority and then it kind of Well, the clonazepam has helped, and then the gabapentin also is a sleep aid, uh, but it's supposed to help my neuropathy, and Dr. Squires just upped that by like five times, so uh, I'm taking three of those at night now, and uh, that seems to be helping me stay asleep a lot longer, like up to five hours, six hours, which is great. There's also uh, another factor. We did do, I, I went, I had a sleep study done at UBC, uh, and uh, Dr. Fleetum saw me there, a sleep uh, expert, um, and um, he was checking out um, whether I was an active uh, sleeper, and he was also checking out um, my um, CPAP. CPAP, and the, what, what do they call that? The uh, where you're, the uh, Why do you have a sleep pap? Because you've got... Apnea, sleep apnea. Sleep apnea, yep. See, that's that uh, Parkinson's brain just kicking in there without <laughs> the recall. Hey. hey. Uh, so, so yeah. So I actually spent the night in the hospital or in the in the, in the research area, uh, and that was a, a strange, bizarre setup. Like I don't even know how you're supposed to sleep with forty eight, you know, little things attached all over your body. And just like every doctor's appointment you go to, your right hand hurts, your right hand hurts, your right hand hurts. You go to the doctor and you can't. Was it my right hand or my left hand? Nothing hurts right now. I don't know what's going on. So, so like I didn't like I wasn't active dreaming for that one night. So they didn't witness anything. And, he, and, and then he goes, I asked if it got worse. What would you do? And he, he put me on clonazepam. I'm like, I'm already on it. <laughs> no wonder it didn't show up. But it, it kind of ruled some things out and helped you understand how what things were actually affecting your sleep or not affecting your sleep. So it was yeah. it was worth doing the sleep study. It, and it also that's one of the reasons also why it became less important to get yeah. <laughs> but because we knew things were being well managed. Yeah. All right. Well, that is this week's episode of When Life Gives You Parkinson's. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Keep banging pots at seven o'clock. And, and share your uh, your stress relievers and your how, how are you dealing with it? You know, go to our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Send us notes at uh, at Parkinson's Pod on all those platforms, or you can you can email us uh, Parkinson's Pod at CuriousCast.ca. This Curious Cast podcast written and produced by me, Larry Gifford, and Rebecca Gifford. Our story editor is Dila Velazquez, and our sound design by Greg Schott. 
Our presenting partner is Parkinson Canada, parkinson.ca. One of the programs the Parkinson Canada offers is a confidential information and referral line. So if you have any questions at all, don't hesitate to reach out to info at parkinson's.ca. Parkinson Canada colleagues are there for you. They're great listeners and can answer questions on a huge range of topics. Special thanks also to our promotional partner, Spotlight YOPD, the only organization in the world with the singular focus of raising awareness of young-onset Parkinson's disease. You can find them at spotlightyopd.org. And in the U.S., Parkinson's IQ Plus U, a free series of Parkinson's events from the Michael J. Fox Foundation to educate and empower people with Parkinson's and their partners. Go to michaeljfox.org slash PDIQ. Uh, many of these events are being rescheduled for next year, for 2021. And we're also doing some online programming. So we've had some some webinars and stuff. So uh, you can check that out there. And thank you for listening. Please take a moment and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to podcasts. While you're there, give us a five-star rating. Just go ahead and do it. Five-star rating. Uh, And uh, share in the comments why you recommend the podcast. And then go to your favorite episode and send it to a friend because everybody should share podcasts. Keep positive. Keep exercising. Keep listening. We'll talk to you next time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.